Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where I feel uh, led to direct us to today. You might remember from last Sunday morning, we were in Genesis chapter 12, and we found that there was a man named Abram that had pulled up stakes and left his home in Ur uh, of the Chaldees, and he was headed west to a promised land that God had promised to him, and he was moving in faith. His name was Abram. He would later become Abraham, and all three of the major world religions look to Abraham. The Christians, the Jews, the Muslims, everybody wants, everybody tries to trace their roots back to Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith, and uh, it's in the story of Abraham that we see a lot of our spiritual DNA. A lot of the things that are going to unfold later in Scripture, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, find their origin point in the story and life of a man named Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, says this in the New King James Version. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Abram's landed on thick. Verse 12, therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent Abram away with his wife and all that he had. I want to minister from that passage about miracles of mercy, miracles of mercy. You may be seated. I've made my share of blunders and ill-advised moves. I think if we had an honest moment this morning, we could go around the room and all of us would probably admit that we've all made a mistake, a blunder. We've all stumbled into something that ended up being a fiasco. There are some circumstances that I found myself in that there's only one person to blame, and it's me. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just open up to you for a minute and tell you one of the guilty pleasures I have is every once in a while on the internet, they'll get people to share in uh, what they call their dumb lie. 
and that people will tell stories of dumb lies that they told that really don't make any sense and that end up getting them into some kind of trouble. Has anybody ever done something like that? Will you just, will you tell a fib, maybe you have to go back to childhood, but you told a fib and it was just, it was dumb. You did not think this through. There's a few of them I want to share with you, uh, just to hopefully uh, make this a little bit more relatable this morning. Someone online said that when they were 10, they told their friends that they rented a circus at their house. What they actually were having is their house was being tented for termites. That's a dumb lie. This other person said that their mom would tell them that if they ran off in the store, they would end up as the mannequins with no arms. <laughs> this other person said that when they were six years old, uh, they, they lied to their mom and told her that they had just simply found $5 at church. The truth was that they'd taken it out of the offering plate as they were passing it around. It's no good. No bueno. The other person said that they told their two kids that when the ice cream truck plays the music, that means they're sold out. <laughs> Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe it was something as dumb and lighthearted as one of those, or maybe, maybe like me, maybe like Abram, you made a little bit of a blunder that had some more serious consequences than those. There are times when, when we're navigating the course of life, that we make a move that reveals our weakness in such a staggering way that only God himself can step in and navigate us forward. That's the kind of story we find in Genesis chapter 12. The Word of God says there was a famine. It wasn't just any famine. It was a severe famine. And famines were not uncommon in that part of the world. Uh, famines happened, and the closer that you lived to the land, the more harsh a famine would be. Abram was part of a generation, a time period where many people, he was one of them, they were nomads, and they had herds of cattle and oxen and, and sheep and things like that, and they would graze them on the land, and that's how they made their living. And they lived very close to the land. So when there was a famine, even a severe famine in the land, it had very quick uh, repercussions for them. And they would start to feel it immediately. And Abram and Sarai found themselves in the middle of a famine like that. And the peril for them became such that Abram started to look for better places to graze his herds and his flocks. He had people that were counting on him. He had family members that were looking to him for answers. Abram, what are we going to do? He himself, notwithstanding everybody else, but he himself was probably becoming a little bit worried about the circumstances of this famine. And so he started to look for better places to graze his herds. And he decided that it was in their best interest to go south to Egypt. Egypt and its Nile River was and to some degree is still today one of the breadbaskets of the world. Egypt, it seemed, always had food. Egypt always had uh, extra supplies that they could weather a famine in moments like this. And the Word of God says that Abram and Sarai and their entire clan, their group of servants and people, they went to Egypt to dwell there. 
It was not necessarily something that was going to become a permanent arrangement. It could have become a permanent arrangement, but it may have just been like everywhere else that he kind of wandered to. He may have gone there for a season, stayed there until the famine passed, and then moved on to greener pastures. Nomads like Abram did that all the time. And as they moved toward Egypt, the Word of God says that it came to pass when they approached Egyptian territory, when they started getting close to the border, there was a conversation that occurred on the border between a man and his wife. They were passing from one place to another place, and a man turned to his wife, Abram turned to Sarai, and they started to have a conversation on the borderland. And in that moment, Abram knew what was out ahead of them. He had heard some about what happened in Egypt. He knew the kind of place that they were going into. And he said to his wife, Sarai, I'm going to try to do something clever and cunning. Reminded me when I started reading the story of these individuals that tell these these dumb lies. He said, I'm going to do something clever. I'm going to try to concoct something that's cunning. and, And I'm going to make a plan for us so that we can really do well and not end up in a bunch of trouble here in Egypt. But in the middle of trying to be clever and in the middle of trying to craft a way forward, Abram instead created a mess. And Abram said to his wife, Sarai, you're beautiful. These people would kill me to get to you. Let's agree, Sarai, that if anyone asks, you are just my sister. So they get to Egypt and something happens that Abram didn't calculate for. Isn't just that the way it works? You try to be clever, you try to be cunning, you try to get ahead of things, you try to do what seems right in your eyes, and you get it all put together, and you take that step over the border, and now all of a sudden you're in that other place, and you're like, okay, everything seems to be okay, everything seems to be working out, and then all of a sudden a variable gets introduced that you did not calculate for. That's exactly the way it works in our life. That's exactly the way it worked in this instance, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. The word of God says, so it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians did notice his wife. And that she put on, it wasn't just that anybody noticed Sarai, the princes of the Pharaoh noticed Sarai and commended her to Pharaoh. Now Abram is in a fix. Things have escalated quickly, haven't they? What started off as an innocent plan to maybe try to prepare for a contingency that may or may not happen at all, now they've stepped into Egypt and now they're in a bind. Now they're in a real fix. Things have really escalated and things are getting serious. It's never our strengths that get us into places and circumstances that require God to deliver us. It's always our weakness. It's always when we decide to do things our way, when we try to make a plan of our own devising that gets us into a set of circumstances that we cannot get out of on our own. It's never our wisdom that gets us into that position. It's always our foolishness and our folly that gets us into that place. And Abram made a plan, stepped into Egypt, and things just started to fall apart. The wise man Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, one of my verses that I I love because it just speaks to the human condition so clearly. Solomon wrote, this is all that I have learned, that God made us plain and simple, but we've made ourselves very complicated. 
That's the way it is. There's a very straightforward way to approach life. But when we start to insert our foolishness, our way of thinking into the plan of God, things go off the rails way quick. And I don't know exactly today, across this room, what, your, what episode of life you are in. But I know that we all share this one trait in common, that we're mess makers. We're mess makers, and we are in need of mercy. Can I just speak life to the mess makers today? Maybe you're not in that case. Maybe everything's just great. Maybe you've never had a hiccup. Maybe everything's just perfect for you. But can I speak some life and hope to the mess makers today? In the middle of Abram's mess, God stepped in with a miracle of mercy. Changed everything. Turned everything around. The scriptures say in verse 17... Then the middle of the mess that was Abram's own creation, God stepped in and the Lord plagued Pharaoh. He plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues. It was a severe famine, but God plagued Pharaoh with great plagues. Why? Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Let me tell you about the mercy of God. Ephesians in mercy. The apostle Peter wrote and said according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It doesn't matter what kind of fix you've gotten yourself in today or how far away from the promised land you feel. God is able to intervene today with a miracle of mercy, just like he did for Abram and Sarah. It doesn't matter what your circumstances is, and it doesn't matter if you have to point all your fingers back at yourself. God is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. You're not going to bankrupt God's mercy with your mess today. God is rich in mercy mercy how does God's mercy find its way into my life Peter wrote about it I just want to stop and say this God's mercy will make its way into your life when you are born again of the water and of the spirit we've been talking about it this morning you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins that's where the mercy starts to flow in your life God says he'll give you a comforter which is the Holy Ghost God's spirit will come and dwell in your life and you'll know it for sure because we call it tongues. There'll be no doubt about it. That's how God's mercy flows into your life. Titus was, uh, Paul was right when he wrote to Titus and he said, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of my wisdom, not because of my strength. He saved us not because of works of our righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Ghost. I'm here to tell somebody about the power of mercy today. That God's mercy outweighs everything else that's going on in your life. It doesn't matter the magnitude of your mess. It doesn't matter how little faith you may feel like you have. It doesn't matter how much pain you're going through. It doesn't matter the dysfunction that you're facing. God's mercy can meet you in the middle of that mess and start to turn it around even yet this morning. God's mercy outweighs 
your mess. Let me say it like this. I'll just say it right back to me. God's mercy is able to outrun my stupidity. Sometimes I do dumb stuff. God's mercy is able to outrun my own foolishness. My own cluelessness. Sometimes I just get oblivious. I just get so locked into doing whatever I'm doing, I just get clueless about things of the Spirit. And in that moment where I am having a clueless spiritual moment, God's mercy is there to meet me. Our salvation is a miracle of mercy. But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, brothers and sisters, is a miracle. That God would look down at you and me in the condition that we were in. Hear me. In the condition that we're still in. And that he'd say, I'm going to give my life in their place. That is a miracle of mercy. When our ancestors made their very first mess, we come from a long line of mess makers. Back in the earliest chapters of Genesis, when our spiritual ancestors, our literal ancestors, made their first mess in the Garden of Eden, a man named Adam and his wife Eve, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a testing tree. It was there to signify that there are some things that only belong to God, namely the authority to decide what's wrong and right. That belongs to God. And when Adam and Eve took of that tree, they overstepped their boundaries, and the instant they did that, they made a mess. They made a mess. And in that moment, in that first mess-making moment, God did for them what he will do for you. God stepped in. He covered up things. He started to make things right, and he gave them a promise. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent, the one who triggered all of this mess. He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You know what that tells me in that moment in Genesis chapter 3? God so quickly responded to their mess. It tells me God's not afraid of your mess. God's not afraid of your mess. He can deal with it with a miracle. I'm talking this morning about the mess of addiction. The mess of lying. The mess of sin. There's miracles called deliverance. There's miracles called forgiveness. There's miracles called healing. God has a miracle for your mess. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting at the starting gate and you just need, you need a new birth experience miracle. Or if you're out here and you've been born again, but you, like Abram, have found yourself in the middle of something, maybe it's your own making, maybe it's the product of circumstances, it really doesn't matter. I know this about God's mercy. It's not bound by geography. Because the same mercy that called Abraham out of Ur is the same mercy that met him in the middle of his mess in Egypt. 
God's mercy, God's power is not bound by where you are in your relationship with him. I'm talking to somebody that's been living for God for three minutes. I'm talking to somebody that's been living for God for 30 years. It doesn't matter. God's mercy is the same. And God's mercy is every bit as available to you today as it was the day you were saved and God called you out of the mess you were originally in. It's for your mess back then. It's for your mess today. God's power is here and he can work a miracle in the middle of everything. His mercy can meet you right in the middle of what you're dealing with today. And if you know God as your savior... And if you know God found you in a deep pit somewhere and forgave you of your sin and allowed you to be born again of the water and of the spirit, you also need to believe today that that same God will use that same power and he'll work a miracle in your life, in your mess, in the lives of those people that are around you that don't have answers. God can be the answer. He's not bound By geography, he's not bound by time. He can step into any point in the timeline and work a miracle. Here's what I want you to be aware of this morning. If there was something that I would point to in a message like this that I would say I need to issue a warning, it would be this. Some get into the place where they say, you know what, my life is a mess. I come from a long line of mess makers. My life is a mess, but I look around and God's blessing me. God's still doing some things. God's blessing me. It's dangerous. Because while it is true, you need to be very careful not to latch on to the identity of a blessed mess. Here's the truth. Here's where I'm going. Abram found himself in the middle of this mess Sarai has been taken captive. She's been taken into Pharaoh's house, added to his collection of wives. In the middle of that, life looks like it. I mean, it's coming. Life's coming apart. And God says that Abram was treated well. He was treated well. Which means, and you'll find it in verse 16. Abram had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. He, and he, he, he prospered in the middle of this. I mean, like, there was things being added to Abraham in the middle of all this. But recognize a few things that happened in the middle of this blessed mess. Sometimes we'll latch on to that identity of the blessed mess. But look at what happened. In the, look at some of the outcomes of Abraham's blessed mess, if you just would. Do you think that there, I don't want to get into marriage counseling right now, but do you think Abram and Sarah's relationship was ever quite the same after this episode? I mean, you're talking about like a new source of tension, you know? So we know the end of the story, don't we? We know that they got out. We know that, you know, there's a little bit of a happily ever after. At the end of this chapter, they get sent out of Egypt. Everyone's reunited and whoo. But do you think their relationship was ever the same? I don't. I mean, I'm married. I don't think their relationship was ever the same. Let me give you another point about the blessed mess. His herds increased. He got got new male and female donkeys, camels, right? Do you know what happens in the next chapter and in the chapters to follow? 
his herds have increased so much that, he, that there ends up being quarreling between his herdsmen and his nephew Lot and his herdsmen. There starts to be infighting because they've prospered so much. They've inherited so much during this pass through Egypt that now there's tension that didn't used to be there. There's quarreling taking place. Everyone see the picture I'm painting right now? Does anyone know what happens when, there starts, when they start to have that infighting in the next few chapters of the book of Genesis between Abram and Lot and their herdsmen? They come together and they say, hey, we probably need to split up. We probably, for the sake of the peace, we probably just need to split up and go our separate ways and just give ourselves a little bit of breathing room. Do you know what happens after that? Abram's, or Lot starts setting up his tent towards Sodom. The next thing you know, Lot and his family are in Sodom. The next thing you know, Sodom is being destroyed by hellfire and brimstone from heaven. And Lot's barely escaping with his life. He loses his wife in the process. Do you see how about three or four steps down the road, all of a sudden the blessing in the mess doesn't look like a blessing anymore? Do you see how it would be very much to our disadvantage to latch on to that identity and say, you know what, I'm just going to live here in the middle of this mess. I don't need a miracle. I'm blessed. Everything seems okay. Everything seems like it's working out. If that isn't enough, let me paint a third layer to this picture. It says that in Egypt, Abram inherited male and female servants. And it's just a few chapters later that God's promise of a son to Abram and Sarai is aggravated and that it hasn't come to pass yet. And they look around and they develop a, yet another one of these schemes. And they say, what about old Hagar? What about old Egyptian Hagar that we picked up during that rough pass through Egypt? You remember her? Why don't you take her as one of your wives and see if you guys can produce the promised child? And she, that's what they do. And she has a son named Ishmael. And I... I don't want to pass by it too quick, but do you understand what they're fighting about in the Middle East right now? It goes back to that. Some are the descendants of Isaac, and some are the descendants of Ishmael. It's essentially a thousands of... Do you see how latching on to the identity of the blessed mess can really yield results that you really don't want? We have to pull it together. We, we can't allow ourselves to drift into that territory where we feel like, I don't need intervention by God. I've made this mess. I'm just going to make peace with it. I'm a mess maker. I'm just going to live in it. I'm just going to set up camp right here. Whatever happens, happens. I don't need intervention. I'm just going to make it. I'm just going to make do. And some are sitting in the seats right now, even this morning, and you know that there's categories and areas of your life that there's been a mess. There's something that's out of order, and you need to bring that before God at an altar today. You need to kneel down in your, and you need to make it right and let God bring it into a life. You need a miracle of mercy in that area of your life today but there is a voice and it's maybe your voice that is saying you know what every it's not so bad everything is actually kind of okay we can be okay is I'm going to I'll, I'll be honest enough preacher to acknowledge the mess but look at all the blessing everything seems to just be going all right and to that kind of an attitude and that kind of a posture I would point 
to the life of Abram and the chapters that follow this one and tell you that more than just settling into the mess and accepting that that's the way it's going to be, we need to look to God and say, God, can you navigate me through my life? God, can you do some things in my life? You probably noticed in this passage, I was talking to Brother Turner before church this morning, that there is in this passage, in these 10 or 11 verses, there's no, there's no real punchline verse, right? There's no verse that, like, there's no sh- shouting verse. There's no verse that I'm going to read and everybody's going to be on their feet. That's the way life is sometimes. It's much easier to, I'm going to be honest with you, it's much easier to stand up on a Sunday morning and find a scripture passage that has that real punchy punchline verse that everyone will shout with. But here, that works good in church, but that don't work so good in life. Life looks an awful lot like what Abram and Sarah are going through. And so I don't have a punchy verse to make you shout about this morning, but I do have the message that says in the middle of everything going on in your life, God can step in and do what only he can do, that you need mercy and that God will provide it. And Abram, if you will step in to mercy, if you'll step into the miraculous today, everything can change. Let me talk to the person just for a minute. That some of the circumstances like Abram and Sarah are facing, that famine, that that feels real for you right now. Saying, you know what, the circumstances are not great right now. Maybe you even have some plans that have backfired. Maybe there's drama that's unfolding all around you. To you this morning, I want to preach this gospel as clearly as I possibly can. That there is mercy in the middle of that mess There can be a miracle take place in the middle of what's going on. There is grace for you today. There's God. God is saying to your spirit right now, he's saying, why don't you come on back to Canaan? Let's get you pointed back towards the promise. I know we've we've had these conversations over here on the borderland. I know we've been living here and we've been trying to decide, is this the best thing? Is that the best thing? I see things going on in my world. I'm confused about it. I'm not sure what my move should be. And you're standing there. To you, I say today, God is saying, come on, my child. Why don't you come back over? Let's get you back over to the promised land. There is a promise for you. There There is healing for you. There is a destiny and a plan for you. He said, you don't need to go on down to Egypt. You don't have to do all of that. You can go on to the promise. I'm going to take care of you. Promise always requires the miraculous. You need to etch that somewhere into the inner cover of your Bible. If you believe that God has a promise in your life, if you believe that that we collectively are destined for a promised land, a spiritual inheritance, you need to know that the promise always requires the miraculous. That's another way of saying we're never going to be able to do it on our own. It's always going to require God to intervene. Always. So I want to leave you with comfort and hope this morning. Romans chapter 11 says this, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. God's promise can prevail in spite of my weakness. And here's your hope. Psalm 105, as the musicians come, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment for your inheritance. When they were very few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in the land. For when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, 
God permitted no one to do them for their sakes, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. God's promise prevails in spite of our weakness. And when your weakness shines through and you make a blunder and you have one of those conversations on the border that you never should have had and you try to be cunning and crafty and clever and cute and you try to figure something out on your own and you end up doing what, we've, <laughs> what we are all very prone to do. And you look around and all of a sudden there's a mess. In the middle of all of that weakness, let God work a miracle called mercy. Let God give you a gift called grace today. Remember, it's called the promised land. It's not called the earned land. No amount of striving on your part is going to get you there. Every single one of us in this room today, we need to throw ourselves at the mercy of God. And say, God, more than anything, I need intervention. I need a miracle. My family needs a miracle. My health needs a miracle. My finances need a miracle. My sin problem needs a miracle. My addiction, I need deliverance for it. There's things in my life, God, that I haven't been able to put all together yet. And I need you to step in and do what only you can do. God is working on your behalf even when you don't know it. Did you, did you notice in this passage that we read together? Abram never calls out to God for help. Now, I'm not advocating and saying you don't need to call out to God for help. The point I'm making is God loves Abram so much that there's times when Abram doesn't have to verbally cry out. That God will just step in and meet him in that place. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now because there's a God who loves you, that is pursuing you. He's relentless after you. He has a promise in store for you. He wants to work a miracle of mercy in your life today. Would you stand with me this morning? Is there anybody who would say, you know what, I want some of that? Would you... Would you lift up your hands toward heaven right now as we begin to play and, and we open up these altars for prayer? Was there anybody that would say, you know what, there's, there's parts of my life that's tangled up and I'm ready to be loose of it. I don't know how it got this way. I don't know how it ended up like this. Would somebody step out in faith and say, you know what, I'm not going forward without the miraculous.